Well, I never nearly made it tonight. Uh, I've been suffering. Uh, I was unwell while I was on holiday. Um, and I came back with a, a, nasty, a nasty bug. I think I must have picked it up on the plane. I'm sure I did. But uh, I've had an eye infection. Um, good old NHS. That's all I'm saying. You know, when you go abroad, you really, really do appreciate what we have in this country. Um, anyway, enough of me. Could you turn in your Bibles to the prophecy of Jonah? The prophecy of Jonah. The prophet Jonah comes after Obadiah and before Micah. Now, I took the liberty of looking on the, uh, the website to see who'd preached on the uh, prophecy of Jonah, on the book of Jonah. And I see that in 2015, you had Paul Knox who came along and he preached on, uh, on Jonah. And I also noticed that in 2009, that you had Don Nunes from, um, from Green Lane who came and preached morning and evening on the prophet Jonah. But I've looked at all of the sermons uh, that Ian has preached and I see that you've not preached on the, certainly not recorded in, on the website from the prophet uh, Jonah. So that's maybe something that you might consider doing <laughs> at some point. I know you've done a lot, a, a lot of other stuff, but I just uh, say that in, in way of passing. Um, now, I don't know what you think about a book like Jonah. And we'll, we're not going to go through it in in sort of uh, by verse by verse exposition, but we'll, we'll, we'll just take a few sort of um, verses. I mean, this is about, as you know, the runaway prophet. That's who Jonah is. He's the prophet who ran away from God's commission and God's mission. Now, I'm going to read you a little story before I start, because I don't know whether you believe in what we refer to as the veracity of scripture and by that I mean the truth of scripture when you read the bible do you think that you you're reading something which is true something which is historical and something which is reliable now only you can answer that question particularly when you come to uh, the prophecy of Jonah and I'm going to read something to you because and, and you can make up your mind uh, about this. Okay, so this is, um, it says, swallowed alive, man survives inside a whale's stomach for three days. And this was in the Deccan Chronicle, which is uh, a newspaper in, in Hyderabad, which is in Pakistan. And this is what it says, according to the man, this is a guy whose name was Luigi Marquez. He was a Spanish fisherman. According to the man, he stayed inside the whale for three days and three nights. The only thing that kept me alive, this is the man speaking, were raw fish I ate and the light uh, from my waterproof watch, says the man. A Spanish fisherman who drowned in the sea is back with a very interesting story. This is the newspaper report. The man who disappeared for several days after he went overboard during a bad storm has returned to share his survival tale. Well, there's some similarities now, isn't there? 
The 56-year-old fisherman Luigi Marquez claims that a whale swallowed him. According to Marquez, he stayed there for three days and nights. When Marquez did return home, the coastal guard tried to find him during, uh, but failed to locate him, and he was considered dead. The great beast swallowed me the morning after the storm, he told reporters. It is the most frightening thing I've ever lived. Everything which was pitch black, I was shivering cold. The only thing that kept me alive were raw fish that I ate and the lice from my waterproof watch. I kept in touch with time and the smell I will never forget, the horrible stench of putrid decomposition. I had to wash for three days before the odour went away, Luigi told reporters. This is truly a miracle. Jesus has heard our prayers, he says. I prayed and I prayed and I never lost faith. And the Lord has brought me back, my precious Luigi, said Penelope Marquez to the local reporters. Though there are many speculation over the Marquez, over what Marquez is saying, but he claims that he was inside the whale for 72 hours before it flushed him out. Now, you may think, well, that's a bit far-fetched, isn't it, Vin? You may think that that's not a true story. This is a bit of a hoax, isn't it? I guess when people, you know, nowadays read the prophet or the prophecy of Jonah, maybe that is exactly what they think. I don't know whether this is true or not. But I can tell you, my friends, that I actually believe in the truth of the scripture. I believe that the scripture is reliable. And I believe that what is written in God's word is truth. And I accept it as truth. I also accept that Jonah was an historical figure. He wasn't some figment of the imagination. And he lived in a period in history. We know the dates that he lived. He lived between 786 and 746 BC. And he lived in the time of Jeroboam II, who was the king of Israel. So that has been well documented. We've got historical evidence to prove that Jonah was a real person in time. Now, I've mentioned about Paul Knox preaching on Jonah and uh, Don Nunes. I first spoke on Jonah, I think it was in 1985, at Belvedere Road Church at a Children's Day. Now, Steve will, Steve will remember this because uh, I know he's commented in the past on my, on my visual aid props. Uh, particularly the, the palm tree, which, which claps. And, and were you pulling the worm up, were you? Was. He was pulling the worm up. So Steve has been involved with the Jonah story. But this is one of the songs that I remember certainly singing when I was a child at Sunday school. Come listen to my tale. Now, this is not theologically correct, so please forgive me. Uh, come listen to my tale of Jonah and the whale. Way down in the bottom, in the middle of the ocean. How did he get there? Whatever did he wear? Way down in the middle of the ocean. Preaching he should be. At Nineveh, you see. He disobeyed, or oh, what a foolish notion. But God forgave his sin. Salvation entered in, way down in the bottom of the ocean. You know, sometimes the simplest words 
can be the most profound, can't they? So what I want us to do uh, this evening is maybe just look at uh, some lessons from uh, the life of Jonah. We can learn a lot from the life of Jonah and the experiences of this Old Testament prophet. What we need to do is just open up our hearts and open up our minds to see what Jonah has to say. So the first thing that we can learn is that God is a holy God and that God hates sin. And we will refer to some of the, uh, some fra- some of the uh, verses as we go through in Jonah. We won't go verse by verse exposition. But look at, look at um, um, Jonah chapter 1 verse 2. It says, uh, This is the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Cry out against it. Now you probably know that Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, which was in ancient Babylonia. And he's commanded, commissioned to go and preach to these people because of the heinous nature of their sin, because of their wickedness, which was coming up before God. My friends, God cannot be indifferent to sin and still be a holy and a righteous God. God's character is holy. It was the commentator Godet, the, the old Puritans, they used to speak about the perfections of God in terms of the, the, the characteristics of God and the nature of God. And Godet said this about the holiness of God. He says, the holiness of God is that perfection of God, listen, whereby he makes himself the absolute standard of himself. Now, that's a bit mind-blowing, that, isn't it? You can't get any more perfect than perfect, can you? Because that's what it's saying. So God is not indifferent to our sin. He cannot be and still be a holy and the righteous God. And therefore, what must he do? Well, he must punish the evil and the evildoers. It's true, my friends, that God knows all about the evil that men do. You know, we've just celebrated, just two days ago, the 75th anniversary of D-Day. And as I watched that program and listened to these men now, probably the youngest, 93, 94 years of age, you know, only now beginning to tell the story my father-in-law was in the Royal Army Medical Corps. And it was only, he didn't speak to Pam or me about his war life, but he did speak to our, his grandchildren, our kids, about it. And men of that generation, they didn't want to talk about what they saw because they saw horror beyond horror, which was orchestrated through evil men for what they did, certainly to uh, the Jews, 6 million Jews, and others, 13 million people in total, 
were exterminated in the death camps of Dakar and Auschwitz and Birkenau. So evil is around, isn't it? We see it. We see it in our day and generation now. Even in, our, in the 21st century, there are men and women, Christian men and women in other countries who are suffering because of the evil of others. So God knows all about all of the evil that men do. And why is that? Why is it that God knows about these things? Well, because he is the, he is the omnipresent one. He is the, he is the one who is in all places at all times. He is the omniscient one. He knows all things. He knows the beginning from the end. And no one can do wrong without his knowledge. Now, that doesn't make God the author of sin or the author of evil, but he does know about it. And he will deal with it according to his own goodwill and purposes. Therefore, when we sin, when you and I sin, we sin against the God who sees and knows all about us. And my friends, he sees deep within our hearts. Now, it's easy to jump into the closet, isn't it? And hide away and think that nobody sees, isn't it? If we're honest, you know, we go into our houses and we shut our doors and what goes on behind closed doors, nobody else can see except those in there. But God is there and God knows all about it. Just a word about Nineveh. What was Nineveh actually like? Well, Nineveh, as I say, was the, it was the capital of Assyria. It was Israel's bitter enemy. And the Assyrian Empire became extremely uh, great and powerful um, during this period. Nineveh, as its centre all the way until the final destruction by the Chaldeans and the Medes in 612 BC. And the fall of that great city was no matter of chance, but rather the fulfilment of biblical prophecy. And perhaps this is why Jonah wanted, this is perhaps why God wanted to send Jonah to preach against it. What was Syria, uh, Syria really like? Listen to what F.W. Farah says. He says this, The Assyrian Empire was known for its cruelty. Judged from the vaunting inscriptions of her kings, no power more useless, more savage, more terrible ever cast its gigantic shadow on the page of history as a past on the way to ruin. The kings of Assyria tormented the miserable world. They exult to record how space failed for corpses, how unsparing a destroyer in their goddess Ishtar, how they flung away the bodies of soldiers like so much clay, how they made pyramids out of human heads, how they burned cities, how they filled populous lands with death and devastation, how they reddened broadened deserts with carnage of warriors. How they scattered whole countries with the corpses of their defenders as with chaff. How they impaled heaps of men on stakes. And strewed the mountains and choked rivers with dead bones. How they cut off hands of kings and nailed them on the walls. And left their bodies to rot with, with bears and dogs. 
on the entrance gates of cities. How they employed nations of captives in making brick in fetters. And how they cut down warriors like weeds. Or smote them like wild beasts in the forest. And covered pillars with the flayed skins of rival monarchs. What an evil and demonic description of a nation. Nineveh was located in a very dis desirable place. It was east of the Tigris River in a fertile plain. Today, the ancient ruins are located just opposite of the present-day city of Mosul, which is in Iraq. Nineveh was also famous in the ancient world because it was the center of worship of Ishtar or Astarte, uh, the fertility goddess. And the size of Nineveh is revealed for us in the Bible in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 3. And we read there, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. This is later, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, about a three-day journey in extent. So it was a big, big place, you know, uh, to get around. Now, if Nineveh was not spared or was not to be spared, they might be a threat to Jonah's nation. And he knew it. So he was being patriotic when he didn't want to go to Nineveh because in the, in the, in the verse here we read, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, let's do a little bit of, uh, a little bit of ge geography here. So... Here's uh, Joppa. I'm at Joppa, okay, which is in Israel. It's a port. It's now uh, Jaffa, Israel Jaffa, not the orange, okay? <laughs> but here we are. Now, if that is the east, yeah, if that's the east, that's where Nineveh is, 500 miles that way in Assyria, that way. Tarshish is that way, which is about two and a half thousand miles, which is almost by Gibraltar in Spain. Now, I mean, come on, with any kind of a stretch of the imagination, this fella wanted to get away from God, didn't he? And he thought that the furthest, most furthest place he could go to, he'd get away uh, from God. But you know, God is very gracious. He wasn't being very godly and he wasn't being pleasing because God wanted him to warn these people of the impending judgment that was to fall upon them. And Jonah decided that he didn't want to do that. Now the word of God is very clear, you know, when it comes um, to repentance. It says this, that God is not willing that anyone should perish. So God has announced judgment upon these people because of their sin and their iniquity and their wickedness. But the word of God says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the first thing we can learn is that God is a holy God who hates sin. Secondly, we can learn that we can run 
but we can't hide from the presence of God. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into the ship to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And of course, we know what happened. God found him and caught up with this rebellious prophet. And no matter where we go, Psalm 139 is a classic uh, reference for us, isn't it? You know, whether we go to the uttermost parts of the earth, whether we make, you know, whether we fly in the heavens or go to the depths of the sea, we can't hide away from God. And of course, there was a bit of a debate then in the ship as this storm, because God sends this great storm and this ship is going up and down. And I, you know, I feel sorry for the sailors. I really do feel sorry for the sailors because they were on hidings or nothing. So they, the captain of the ship says to every, every man, start praying to your gods. There must have been loads of gods that they were praying to. But where was Jonah? Where was the prophet of God when the storm was going on? Well, he was right down in the bowels of the ship. And he was down on his bunk, fast asleep. And what does the captain do? He comes and shakes him and wakes him and says, hey, wake up and start praying to your God. And then the questions that come, look at the questions, verse, verse 8. Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you from? Really legitimate questions that this man, this captain, wanted to know about Jonah. He said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he'd fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. So there must have been going, a debate going on beforehand between Jonah and these seamen about what had happened. And he tells them that he's fleeing from the Lord. Well, Jonah was found to be the cause of the storm and he's cast overboard and swallowed by a great fish. Now, I, I deliberately say a great fish because the, the Bible describes it as a great fish. Whether it was Levi Leviathan, and I don't know what Leviathan looks like, but I know Leviathan was a great sea beast. I know that, you know, the, the, the whale is a great sea beast. And I've sort of studied and had a read around this and it suggests that a man couldn't be swallowed by a whale. So maybe it wasn't a whale and maybe it was one of these other big sea monsters that was there. But we know that Jonah is swallowed by this great fish. And my friends, when we sin, just like when Jonah sinned, it affects other people. It will affect people around us it may be family it may be friends it may be people that we don't even know personally now 
last year, as you know, I retired from, from work and haven't spent many, many years working with people in drug and addiction. You know, I, I saw this on a daily basis. And, and it's estimated that people, who's in, people who are in, in addiction, that no fewer than 12 people can be affected by that one person's uh, malady or dilemma. It's phenomenal, isn't it? So we do have an influence and we do impact on other people when things go badly wrong with us. And then the third thing that we can learn, or the third lesson, is that we can learn how to pray and obey. Because you can bet your life that Jonah prayed more earnestly and sincerely than he had ever done before in his life. And he prayed and submitted his life to God's will. Because he was willing, uh, because he was now going to be willing to go to Nineveh and say what God wanted him to say. And his, his prayer is recorded for us there in, in, in chapter 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. And I believe that this prayer is threefold. First of all, I believe it's a prayer of confession. Secondly, I believe it's a prayer of repentance. And thirdly, I believe it's a prayer of thanksgiving. And I say that because of the verses. Look at verse 2. And he said, this is his confession. I cried to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me. It's a prayer of repentance. Look at verse 7. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. And it's also a prayer of thanksgiving. But I will sacrifice, verse 9, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So this man has a change of heart. Oh, yes, he was in dire straits. He was in difficult circumstances and there was no way he was going to get out unless God in his sovereignty and through his mighty power would deliver him. So we can learn how to pray and obey. And then fourthly, we can learn that God sometimes gives us a second chance. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says uh, in 2 Timothy, uh, sorry, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2 verses 1 to 5. Therefore, I exhort you first of all that supplication, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a, a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all men to be saved. Isn't that great? God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God desires that all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So Jonah's given a second chance. And we read in the account at the end of chapter 2, verse 10, So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So we can see, my friends, that the mission hadn't changed. 
It was still the same mission. He still needed to go to Nineveh. But at least to some degree, he had changed. Yet 40 days, verse 4 of chapter 3, Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was a great um, was a great and exceedingly uh, city, a three-day journey. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yeah, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now here's, I'm going to throw down the gauntlet. Okay. And this is it. How many of us would be prepared tomorrow morning to walk up and down Park Road or go into the city centre and say, in 40 days' time, this city is going to be destroyed. At the very least, they'd think we were nutters, wouldn't they? They'd say, those religious maniacs, they're at it again, wouldn't they? That's exactly what they think. Well, maybe that's what they thought of Jonah. I mean, three days walking up and down through Nineveh saying, 40 days, it's all up with you. 40 days, you're finished. God's going to deal with you. It's a bit like Noah in his day, isn't it? There's Noah in the middle of a field, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And they're all laughing at him. Oh, what a divvy he is. And then God sent the flood. And it destroyed everything apart from Noah and his family. Well, my friends, the impending doom and judgment was to fall upon Nineveh. And the word of God says this, it is a fearful thing. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The prophet Amos, when he prophesied, he said this, prepare, prepare to meet your God. I mean, these fellows didn't mince their words, did they? They weren't sort of... You know, they weren't couching it in fancy language. Nowadays, people don't want to talk about sin. Or talk about wrongdoing. Talking about, "Mm, we slipped up a little bit there. But whatever you do, don't talk about, don't use the S word. Don't use the sin word. And certainly don't, don't talk about hell. Whatever you do. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown and then the next thing that I think we can learn and we're nearly done is that we can learn that the word of God is quick and powerful and can change any life excuse me and if a message of condemnation preached by an unsympathetic prophet could change a wicked people like Nineveh it can change anyone People like you and me. Just look at the result. Look at chapter 3, verse 5, and it says this. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by decree. 
of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Do, let them, uh, do, do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Now, when reading that, you may think that God is changeable. God is an immutable God. God never, ever changes at all. He cannot and he will not. But it's God's prerogative to do what he does according to his will. And God would sooner have men to come to a knowledge of the truth than be sent to a lost eternity. The people put on sackcloth and ashes. My friends, God is a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. Talk about far-reaching and life-changing revival. It touched everyone in that city, even the king. It humbled them. It brought them to true repentance. And God relented. And he decided to spare these people. And he did that for more than 200 years before Nineveh met its doom. And then lastly and finally we can learn that God's love is much greater than our love. Hmm. There was no tears in the eyes of Jonah as he told the people of Nineveh of their certain destruction. But there was still rebellion in his heart at how loving and forgiving God was. Look at chapter 4, verse 4, and it says this. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city, sat on the east side of the city, and there he made himself a shelter and sat on, under its shade till he might see what would become of the city. Jonah wanted the destruction of the city. That's what he wanted. And he was angry with God because... God had seemingly changed his mind about destroying this people. But you know, God taught him a lesson through a plant, through the gourd, that we all need to learn. You see, this plant grew up overnight. And it grew and it grew. And it came in that vehement east wind to shelter Jonah. And he got comfort and shelter from that. But God also prepared the worm. <laughs> and the worm came and it destroyed the plant so that that shade and that shelter uh, went. Then God said to Jonah, verse 9, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? He's getting angry over insignificant things here, isn't he? You know, he wasn't keeping the main thing the main thing. He should have been angry at the fact that God may have been punishing these people. 
but now God is saving these people and he's full of anger. And he's now angry with the fact that, you know, God has sent this worm and has destroyed his shade. Here's the big question. Do we think that Jonah was a racist person? Do you think that he hated these people so much, these Assyrians, these Babylonians, that he wanted God to destroy them and wipe them off the face of the earth? Well, when we think of what Jesus says, we cannot even contemplate such thinking. You remember Jesus told the story of the, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. You remember it? There's this man who falls amongst thieves. And he's, he's robbed and he's left for dead. And first of all, a, a, a priest comes along. A pastor comes along. A church leader comes along. And he sees him. And he walks on by. Then a Levite comes along he could be a church warden he could be a deacon he could be a helper in the church and he sees him and he walks on by and then a man who was despised by these two he comes along and he takes care of him and he heals his wounds. And he says, take some money as he gives them to the innkeeper. And if I owe you anything, I'll pay it when I come back. The Apostle Paul gets it right, doesn't he, when he says this, that there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for we are all one. In Christ Jesus. My friends, God will do what is right and best and in accordance with his, with his love, with his holiness, with his righteousness towards his people. And here is the invitation. And it's an invitation for all of us. My friends, God loves you too. Why do I say that? I say that on the authority of God's word. Because this is what it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but should have everlasting life. My friends, he wants to forgive you and he will if you will only hear his word and come in repentance. And of course, the repentance that the scriptures speak about is something which is done on a daily basis. Yes, I'm, I'm aware of the fact that there is a time when we come in true repentance and faith as we're irresistibly called by the Holy Spirit. And God, in his electing goodness and grace, he sets his love upon us. I'm aware of all of that. But there is that ongoing Seeking of forgiveness, isn't there? I mean, holiness is, is something which we continue with, or sanctification rather, is that process that we have 
It's a daily battle for us, isn't it? Coming to God and asking for forgiveness for the sins that I've committed yesterday and today and tomorrow. My friends, because of our fallen nature and our constant propensity towards sin, we need to come daily seeking God's forgiveness and endeavoring to do his will. Jonah should be a reminder to all of us that we can certainly attempt to run away from God, but we can't hide. Now, I don't know whether you've ever, ever read the end of Jonah. It's a bit of an anticlimax to it, isn't it? Have you read it? Let me just read it to you. And should I not, this is God speaking, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? And that's the end of Jonah. Have you got questions to ask Jonah? Have you got questions to ask God about Jonah? Well, all of the questions and all of the answers that we look for are of no significance. But what is important, that we learn the lessons and learn the lessons well. That we cannot, we might be able to run from God, but we certainly won't hide from him.